Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, Episode 81, Docking Rangelia. Thanks for listening, and Happy New Year. It's late December 2021, and as I predicted in the last episode, which I did a few weeks ago, as I predicted, uh, you know, it's, it's the holiday time, I'm out of my normal work rhythm, and it's the last couple of days of 2021, and I'm itching for something to do. So here I am recording a podcast. There's a certain release. There's a certain uh, series of good feelings that comes from getting stuff out there, whether that's on the YouTube channel or whether that's here. Uh, I can't explain it. I don't really know if I need to explain it. Uh, it just it it feels productive. It feels valuable. It feels it feels a bunch of good ways, huh? And uh, so I will, <laughs> I will proceed. Okay, weird, weird way to start this one. All right. So as as is the case, uh, I barely think about what I want to do here, and that's on purpose. I want to be spontaneous. I want to kind of uh, discover a certain uh, theme as I talk to you. And I try to keep these to about 30 minutes. These are the radio episodes, you know. There's no video with these. But, of course, there has been some video work recently. And in the last episode called That Crazy Eocene A to Z, um, in the last radio episode I was describing the, the, the video series that I am currently doing. And, again, I'm taking a break from that uh, for the holidays. But I will be back to it with session M of the alphabet. So we're basically halfway through the alphabet. And before I proceed with the rest of the alphabet, and I do have some plans uh, for the rest of the alphabet in January and February involving the Eocene, uh, at least today and probably for the, I don't know, for the next couple of days, I don't know. We'll just see how, how in the zone I get with these radio broadcasts. But I, my plan is to recap some of the themes and what I consider new interesting geologic thoughts that I learned either preparing for the first half of the alphabet or visiting with the geology guests that I've had on each of the uh, early alphabet uh, appearances. And, uh, okay, now new thoughts. So not only am I kind of doing this just to feel good, basically, uh, with you, uh, I think this also, these, these uh, episodes right now uh, in late 2021 will help me kind of clear my head from the past and basically try to find a few themes that I think I already know, but I might be able to sharpen up those themes a little bit as I prepare for January and February. I have no idea if that made any sense, but uh, it, it maybe made some sense to me, so that's that's a plus. It's been snowing every day. Uh, we have Arctic air here in central Washington. I know, I know, not as much as British Columbia, not as much as Yukon, not as much as Siberia. I get it. But for us, you know, it's, it's single digits uh, overnight, and it's highs in the teens Fahrenheit during the day. And this beautiful snow globe fluffy white stuff keeps coming down, so there's a lot of shoveling, there's a lot of uh, Bijou the cat being trapped indoors for the most part. If he does go out, he lasts for about three minutes and then he wants back in. My wife Liz is on break, 
and I don't know of your age or your family um, <laughs> phase, uh, but Liz and I are in our late 50s, and our three boys are in their late 20s. The oldest guy just turned 30, and they were all home for eight days, I think it was. And um, the oldest boy has a partner, and so she was with us as well. So um, the seven of us, plus the neighbor kid who's uh, also at the house pretty much nonstop, he's in his late 20s as well. So eight, eight of us basically, uh, it was just like old times. And it, it, it's hard to describe how um, satisfying and, and meaningful that time is. This is not the podcast to talk about family relations, but anyway, my point is everybody went home. Everybody went home yesterday, and it sucks, man. It sucks to have an empty house. Um, I think Liz has a different approach. She's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of nice to get back to being able to read without interruption and everything else. But boy, I just, I just love those those kids being here, just like the old days. And related to that, and that's the last preamble before we get started. You know, I, I started doing all this public outreach stuff, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, something like that. And I get asked pretty regularly, like, why didn't I start doing all this this outreach, this public stuff, you know, public talks and TV and, and uh, YouTube and everything? Why didn't I start that earlier? <clears throat> and my, my short answer is um, I was busy being a parent. You know, when, you're, when your kids are under 15, um, there's a lot to do with them. There's coaching basketball, and there's walking to school every morning, and all of your attention is on the, on the kids, and that was the case here as well. And then they became teenagers, and as is the, is the norm, as it should be, uh, they're not that interested in hanging out with you anymore, which is fine. That's, you know, that's the way it should be. So that's really why I started doing all this outreach stuff. I just needed something to replace uh, the kind of day-to-day, hand-to-hand combat of being a, being a parent. Okay. So I've already talked about the live stream series. You may or may not be have been watching. You know that there's a guest coming in every show now, and that's a, a particular thrill. And I do have some guests lined up for January already, and I'm, uh, I'm jazzed about that. But the, the, the emphasis today at the seven-minute mark is to start talking about specific things that are new that I want to continue to think about and weave into the current series. Okay, well, let's do it. What's the episode title? Docking Rangelia. Okay. Well, session B was working on a theme that we had not a series of exotic terrains coming in one by one, which I used to teach, by the way, and thought was the case for for many, many years. I just thought each of these exotic terrains that make up the American West, west of Salt Lake City, Utah, basically, I figured that those things came in one by one, and, and one came from China, and one came from Japan, and one came from Australia, and one came from Alaska, and one came from... Well, that's not the case. And I, I kind of fully realized that a year ago when I was doing the exotic terrain A to Z series, 
And so we started this crazy Eocene series with that second session saying that there were three main events, three main terrain, terrain accretion episodes, three main real estate gainers for North America. We gained a bunch of land 170 million years ago, 100 million years ago, and 50 million years ago. And I lofted the idea that a large igneous province, and the analogy I had was a sponge cake. Instead of a German chocolate cake, which is a continental flood basalt, I came up with this idea of you've got this German chocolate cake that's down there on the ocean floor soaking in all this salt water, kind of brining or soaking in rum or something. And so I came up with sponge cake, which I've since gotten tired of and I've gotten away from. But for those first few episodes, I was talking about these sponge cakes and made the case that it appears, again, at this, this most broad level, that these three main events, not one main event, but three of them, again, 170, 150 MA, the centerpiece of those three major accretion events was a large igneous province. For the 170 million year old event, that's that's really the intermontane superterrain, and the centerpiece, as I was presenting, it was the Cache Creek, which probably was a huge flood basalt province on the ocean floor, an oceanic plateau, in other words, that was accreted 170. What was the centerpiece of the insular superterrain that added 100 million years ago? Rangelia, large igneous province otherwise known as an oceanic plateau, a.k.a. sponge cake. What was the centerpiece of the 50-million-year-old event? Well, it was only a sponge cake. It wasn't a centerpiece. It was the thing called Celestia slash Yakutat. Uh, okay. Well, I quickly realized by emailing Mitch Mahalanek and a few other Canadian geologists who knew the Cache Creek story that it's maybe not as simple as that. And in fact, there's debate about whether Cache Creek really was an oceanic plateau. Plus, if the live stream series involves the Eocene, pretty much between 60 and 40 million years ago, that's our magic time window this winter, 170 million years ago is way too old and not going to be super helpful to us. So I kind of got off of that. And I don't know, I think the viewers, the regular viewers of this uh, live stream series, again, they happen every Wednesday afternoon at 2 p.m. and every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific time. And we're starting again this coming Wednesday, January 5th at 2 p.m. I think we called Near Trench Magmas, by the way, or something like that. I think the audience is okay with, with me kind of changing emphasis as we go because the whole gimmick is I'm learning with the audience. Even the guests who are the experts are learning things as they're answering my questions or as I'm emailing with them behind the scenes and I have kind of learned more recently that me kind of stirring the pot here and inviting certain people and I'm lining up these special guests, these geologists, well, they're talking to each other now. Like, did you did you get a call from Nick? Oh, okay, yeah. You're gonna go on when? Uh, what? 
What are you saying? I didn't know that. I've read all your stuff. I didn't know you had that data. And so on. So it's all positive, And it is a very unique new approach that I really like. And, you know, what are these radio episodes becoming? I guess they're kind of a companion. <laughs> they're kind of a director's cut. I don't know. They're, they're kind of some kind of companion to the, to the video programs. Again, I know you don't all have time to watch a two-hour video twice a week. So I'm hoping these kind of stand alone, even if you never do see the videos. And I've said this multiple times in past radio episodes. But in a way, I'm, I'm kind of giving a little bit of the backstory here because I never say some of this stuff out loud during the video programs, and that's on purpose. I, I'm very careful when I'm on camera doing these programs, whether they're recorded ahead of time or whether they're live, pretty careful not to do too much of talking about me. Now, I know you're like, bullshit, I've seen those things. You're, you're not, you do nothing but talk about yourself. Well, I guess you could say that, but what I'm trying to say here is that, um, okay, choosing my words carefully here even. I'm really proud of what I'm doing right now. And, and it's never been done before. Well, let's leave it at that. Let's leave it at that. So back to the geology. So kind of uh, explored the Cache Creek story, kind of got off of it. The opposite is the 100 million year event, which is still too old for our Cretaceous, sorry, which is still too old for our Eocene, right? It's still 100 million years ago is, is considerably older than our magic time window of 60 to 40 million years ago. But here we go. Here's the main thrust of today's radio episode. I've stumbled into a Cretaceous world that I'm interested in, and I didn't think I was that interested before. And, okay, I've just decided right now. So the rest of our time today, 15 minutes or so, will be trying to outline how, why, and what I've become excited about with the 100-million-year-old event. And that spilled into a couple more of the alphabet letters as I got more and more into this. So the key person is Basil Tikoff. Basil Tikoff. I go back and forth pronouncing them. I even emailed Basil, University of Wisconsin, structural geologist, tectonics, Baja BC enthusiast, even emailed him back and forth a little bit, like, how do I say your name? I hear your name spelled so, or uh, pronounced so differently. He's like, oh, my mom, I just think of how my mom says. She called me basil, like the plant in the garden, and tick off, like he's ticked off. I don't know, somehow tick off doesn't work for me sometimes, so I say tick off, whatever, ridiculous. So basil, who I, I, I did not know well before this winter, uh, I have connected with both email and by texting and then uh, these appearances. And it's plural because he was so good in his first episode called Docking Rangelia, which has been watched twice as much as the other Alphabet series. I don't know why I stumble on that. Out of all the letters so far in the crazy Eocene series, you know, they all have been watched about 10,000 times, more or less. 
But that Docking Rangeli episode's got more than 20,000 viewers. Uh, I don't think it's just the title. I think it's may, maybe you know, people were impressed with Basil and, and his ideas, and so they've shared that one a little bit more than the others. Okay, so why is 100 million years ago a more interesting story than I thought it was originally? And this is all courtesy of Basil, who came back. I, he was so good, I invited him back to talk about clockwise rotation going back uh, much earlier than uh, Celestia time. Well, the main message is docking of Rangelia appears to have a much broader reach than I had imagined before. First of all, I did not visualize Rangelia as being all that huge. But then as I started learning and thinking <clears throat> and asking live guests to describe, I realized, first of all, that Rangelia is not a simple sponge cake, but Rangelia is an exotic terrain that has a volcanic arc in its early days, then a oceanic plateau midlife crisis, and then in late in life, it goes back to a volcanic arc again. So what, what does the shape of this thing look like? It's not just a simple circular sponge cake out in the water, which was my original visual. And by the way, half of that flood basalt chapter of Rangelia is on Vancouver Island today. That's the Carmutsen basalts. And the other half of that midlife crisis sponge cake of Rangelia. Anybody still with me? The other half is up in uh, the Yukon in Alaska, known as the Nikolai Formation. So because there's, there's a, a, a pre-sponge cake and a post-sponge cake volcanic arc story, where we almost certainly have some sort of ocean island arc scene, and we've got hundreds of millions of years of time going by when we build this Rangelia and friends. So I expand it now to and friends. Now we're talking about the Alexander terrain where stuff is coming through the Arctic from, from uh, Eurasia. And I think there's another one. What else is part of it? What's that thing called? Can't remember. Okay. So Rangelia and friends, otherwise known as the insular super terrain, was a much larger piece of land that I originally visualized. And so docking this thing, I'm calling this episode Docking Rangelia, and that's what I called it with Basil's appearance as well, whatever letter that was, maybe C, maybe D in the alphabet. Again, we're just setting the table for the Eocene with this episode, but I'm like, whoa. Cut to it, boy. Basil and just a few others are seeing the docking of Rangelia and friends as the beginning of the Rocky Mountain uplift. Now, I'll bet you didn't see that coming. I'm guessing you did not see that coming. I did not see that coming. And I've watched the replay of that show, and I, I, uh, I enjoy that moment where he, he tossed in this Rocky Mountain beginning thing kind of casually, and I was like, whoa, what did you just say, basically? Or the look on my face was kind of like, what? And I think that's true for, for many. So, how can I proceed? 
Okay, let's do it. So that spurred another episode called the Rocky Mountains, which may or may not uh, overlap with the Eocene. I'm still not exactly sure, to be honest with you, but um, we were still doing kind of Cretaceous stuff, or in other words, earlier than the Eocene material. And I had an episode on the Rocky Mountains, and I framed it in, in a discussion like this that for 50 years, the plate tectonic model that is still the majority opinion is something called flat slab subduction or low angle subduction of the Farallon plate. And you have this oceanic plate subducting beneath Western North America for frickin' 200 million years, and you play with the angle of the subducting plate. And when the angle of the subducting plate, the Farallon plate, is dipping steeply or, or diving um, efficiently and steeply into the mantle, you create a volcanic arc, and that volcanic arc was in eastern California, and you create the California Triad, the, the, the Holy Trinity, uh, basically one, two, three, uh, an accretionary wedge at the coast, in other words, known as a subduction complex, then a four-arc basin, that's the Great Valley of California, then the volcanic arc, that's the Sierras. That went quickly, but I've talked about that before, and we'll bring it up again in January, by the way. The California Triad a very obvious native arc scene where we clearly have subduction of the Farallon plate. But then it gets tricky for some, like Basil, and i got to admit, kind of myself, a few others, the lunatic fringe, as Basil calls himself and his buddies, like they're not, it's the minority opinion. But the minority opinion says, I don't know if this flat slab subduction thing is really a thing. And just to finish the thought, Bill Dickinson, Warren Hamilton, and others say, you take that Farallon plate that was dipping steeply to make the California Triad, and you suddenly or gradually decrease the angle. You, gent you, you uh, shallow out the angle of the subducting Farallon plate, and so now this thing is subducting at shallow levels, and therefore it's creeping further and further inland and creating havoc in Idaho and then Wyoming and then Colorado and even the Dakotas, I guess. And that continued flat slab subduction of the Farallon Plate makes the Rocky Mountains. Well, I got to admit, that's always felt weird to me. <laughs> but I, I just assumed that there was all sorts of geophysics and other things to prove that 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 Farallon plate was subducting shallowly. Well, we'll get more into this in January, believe it or not, but the tomography or the, 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 the Kodak instamatic snapshots that we have in the upper and lower mantle today uh, are debated currently, but there's many tomographers who say, I don't see this flat slab down there. I mean, that's the model, but now we can actually see pretty clearly into the mantle. And we don't see that freaking thing. So you guys were high when you were talking about that 50 years ago, and you probably were, late 60s, early 70s. Probably high as a kite. But this idea just kind of came from California, came from Stanford, came from these places of higher learning, and before you knew it, the flat slab subduction thing just overtook everything, and it's still used by most people. Now, am I missing uh, 
some key arguments against flag sorry am i am i missing some key arguments that continue to support flat slab subduction probably but i've been poisoned by the lunatic fringe i've been mainlining the lunatic fringe into my daddy's been daddy's been busy this break injecting it right into my veins and i try because i have no horse in the race I have no federal funding at stake. I have no cliques and geologists who I trust and others who I do not. I'm in, a, I'm in a unique position that way. I feel like I can be pretty fair and balanced. Ha ha. So I continue just to try to ask questions and learn what I can. So the main message of this radio episode is what I was just saying. That there are some... Not all, a minority opinion, but I think I'm in that camp for now. That the docking of Rangelia 100 million years ago is a much bigger picture, a much bigger story than I had originally imagined. I thought it was just a Western Cordillera story, a Pacific Northwest story, for instance. Okay, in the last five minutes, let me kind of help you see a little bit more about the docking of Rangelia, this end load uh, tectonic model as opposed to the flat slab subduction. So this is the most controversial, I think, part of this uh, opposite view of flat slab subduction to build the Rockies. You basically just hit North America, you, you slam North America on the western edge. And you do it 100 million years ago, and so the geography, the paleogeography of North America is all whacked out. You know, we don't have much of Washington, Oregon yet. So the west coast of North America is like in Idaho. That's where Basil Tikoff happens to be working for the last 25 years. And you know, Baja BC screws this up. A bunch of things screw up the, 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 the simple visual of this uh, Rangeli and Friends docking 100 million years ago. But according to Basil, everybody agrees that that docking happened further south than Rangelia is today. Let me say that again. Rangelia today is in Vancouver. Rangelia today is in Canada and in Alaska. But nobody, regardless of which model you like, nobody, if you seriously think about it, visualizes Rangelia docking in Canada or Alaska. Instead, everybody agrees that Rangelia docks at the latitude of present-day Idaho. And because this thing's so big, it's not just Idaho. It's Idaho and points further south. Now, we are dealing with Baja BC if we realize that many of the Cretaceous plutons, blobs of magma that are coming up during this docking time or immediately after this docking time, many of those plutons have indicators that they were much further south than Idaho, like Mexico, like central Mexico. Now, we are talking about Baja BC. I don't think we're going there today. But the reason I care about this now, and I must have mentioned this in the last radio episode, is that 
I'm doing what I can to learn new things about the North Cascades in northern Washington for reasons I've discussed before. And guess what's in the North Cascades? A bunch of Cretaceous Plutons. Now I got questions. And I will continue to ask those questions in January with our guests. Are we sure those Cretaceous Plutons are from subduction? Most everybody, including the team that I'm working with, say yes. It's a volcanic arc. There's a subducting plate, and there's a volcanic arc in the North Cascades. Like the Stewart Pluton. Like the Black Peak Pluton, I think that's what it's called. I don't even know the names well yet. But if you're in Basil's group, minority, lunatic fringe, you dock Rangelia, you fail the slab, the ocean slab, that was bringing Rangelia to North America. In other words, there was subduction before the slam, before the docking. But as I understand it currently, if you bring in a huge superterrain, insular superterrain, otherwise known as Rangelia and Friends, when you finally slam that huge piece of land onto the edge of North America, you not only start the building of the Rockies with thrust faults inland, but you start invading the crust from below with plutons that are not from subduction. I've never thought about it that clearly before until right now. So I'm, I'm going to write this down as soon as I hit off on this laptop. I like this. Yes or no? Are these Cretaceous Plutons from subduction? If you say yes, then I guess you're not a huge end-load tectonic model person. I guess. If you say no, the Cretaceous Plutons in the North Cascades are not from subduction, then how are you generating all this incredible amount of magma? Mike Eddy, part of the North Cascades research team, calls them flare-ups. He says there's a huge magmatic flare-up post 100 million years ago, basically between 180 million years ago. Well, why? If, if we're docking Rangelia, why do we have this huge volume of magma? The slab failure model, I think of Bob Hildebrand, who I don't think I want to invite... <laughs> Oh, God, I shouldn't say this. Robert Hildebrand is a wild card. He's published an amazing amount in the last 15 years. As far as I can tell, he's not associated with anybody. I know I've talked about him before on this podcast. But my only encounter with him, I have two encounters with Bob Hildebrand. One is I emailed him some questions, and he instead said, instead of writing all this out, can I just call you? So he called me, and he just talked at me for about an hour sitting down in this room next to the litter box, by the way. I, I couldn't get a word in edgewise. So because of that, I don't think I want to invite him as a live guest on this program. I won't be able to shut him up. No offense, if Bob, if you hear this at some point. And two, I went to one of his posters right before the pandemic at um, the GSA meeting in Phoenix, Arizona. 
That was the fall. It must have been like September of 2019. And I wanted to talk to him. And nobody else was there. Except me, standing there looking at his poster, Hildebrand, and one of his buddies at the booth next door. And I stood there for 20 minutes waiting for Bob to take the cue that I was standing there waiting to talk to him. And he never stopped talking to his buddy about where they were going to go out to eat for lunch or something. It's like, screw this guy. So I may have read Bob Hildebrand wrong, but those two experiences have not been uh, terrific. And my point is, not just because of that, but because he appears to be a free agent, like kind of like I am, I guess. I'm a free agent too, but I think I can deal with individual people a little bit better than that. Hildebrand's the guy that keeps saying that if you have a huge docking 100 million years ago, and you do, you're going to um, choke the subduction zone. You're going to tear the subducting plate down below. You're going to create this gap. A bunch of mantles going to be um, swimming to the surface more shallowly than it should be. It's going to trigger a bunch of melting, and you're going to have a bunch of plutons as a direct result of the docking inboard and delayed a little bit after the docking, but it's got nothing to do with subduction. That's the point. And it's 100 million years ago, so it's hard to get definition on that. Now that I say that out loud, I'm currently working on the next few shows in January, and we're looking at the Eocene, and there is a story about breaking the slab. There is a story 50 million years ago about docking Celestia and failing the slab. So why can't we do that 100 million years ago as well? Boy, this is good. Got to write this down before I forget it. Got to write it down. Okay, we're 34 minute mark, so I'm going to wrap up. And when you clicked on this, I don't know what you expected for a docking of Rangelia episode, because we've already talked about exotic terrains. That's not the point here. The point is North Cascades National Park have three generations of magmas. Cretaceous magmas, our topic today. Eocene magmas, our topic probably the next episode. And a super mysterious third flare-up that's halfway between those two, like at 70, 70, 70 million years ago. I have no idea what's going on there. But I think I'm going to keep hammering the question about if we have a bunch of plutons coming up all through Western North America, why are they coming up? Why? Who's making those magmas? And I, it sounds crazy to say out loud, but I guess I've never really thought about that before till recently. And I guess the majority opinion is any major plutons are a subduction story. But I'm not sure that's the case. Dear listener, thank you for spending some time here on the radio broadcast, docking Rangelia, just thinking out loud, sharing some new thoughts from, from November and December, and helpful for me to spin them into our discussions in January and February. Once again, if you want to watch these or even just kind of play them on YouTube and listen to them while you're doing the dishes or something else, um, we start uh, Wednesday, January 5th at 2 p.m. Pacific time. And we'll continue 
two a week until we get to, I think, February 19th is the last show in the series. And hopefully by then the snow will be gone and I can get back in the car and head out and start doing things in the field. That's it for this episode. Thank you, dear listener. I love you. And goodbye.